right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You know, got past that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Do you think losing in a blowout fashion is easier to stomach than losing a nail biter? Yes. Universally, or are there exceptions to that? Uh, I'm sure there's exceptions, but like... A nail biter can mean several different things. So can a blowout. You can lose by 20 and be blown out, or you can lose by 34 and So there's caveats there. Like uh, a perfect example, you could argue to me that the Oregon Elite Eight loss is more excruciating than the Villanova Elite Eight loss the year before. Villanova Elite Eight loss the year before was a three-point game or a four-point game or something like that, a game you were in the whole way. The Oregon game, you were never really in it. You had a few moments where it felt like, oh, could they go on a run right here? But you were never really in that game. Yet the Oregon one almost feels more excruciating because you were never really in that game with an awesome team and a lot of players that you look really fondly on. The Oregon one felt like you got blindsided. Yes. it's You're with the girl that you're in love with that you think you're going to marry, and you're about to pop the question, and then she says, actually, I'm dumping you. Yes. Exactly. Like where did this come from? So that that one might be the the one like exception to the rule, but for mm. the most part, like if you were comparing, I don't know, like what's an example of a close loss for KU in an early round? Well, I don't, even think, I don't think it needs to be an early round necessarily. Like the but the, I think it does because if you're making the cross comparison to last night, if of course if I compare it to an elite eight loss that was close, you're gonna be like, of course the elite eight loss was more heartbreaking. But to me, it's just about how it's going to sit with you. Are you going to be tossing and turning in bed wondering that if that one shot would have fallen, if you just would have not made that stupid, self-inflicted mistake, you would have won the game? That one thing. Like, think about Duke's loss to KU in the Elite Eight in 2018. Grayson Allen, at the end of regulation, pulls up from the elbow and has that shot go around the rim and out. That's going to stick with him. That's going to stick with Duke fans to say, man, if we just would have hit that one shot. We were one seed. We hit that shot. Maybe we go on. Maybe we get killed by Villanova. Yeah, maybe we would have had the distinct honor of losing by 20-plus to a buzzsaw. But that's what nail-biters do to you, is they make you think, man, if we just would have done that one thing differently. Nobody's saying that today. Nobody's saying, "If, if only... If only 19 different things would have went differently, then maybe KU would have had a chance. I think the what-if game is important here, too, because, um, you know, if if you think to, again, the 2016 one, for instance, that I mentioned where you lost to Villanova in the Elite Eight, there's the what-if of, man, if Devontae Graham doesn't foul out of that game, we're down three, we have the ball, yeah. you know, and then it's not just we beat Villanova, it's we beat the team who won the title. We'd be playing Oklahoma, who we already beat a couple times earlier uh, in the year, and then we'd be playing North Carolina, uh, who which who knows how you'd match up. Or you even have years where it's like uh, uh, 2014, where you lose in the second round to Stanford, Joel Embiid's out, and it's always the what if of, 
But what if Joel Embiid played? Then you beat Stanford. Then you have an 11 seed in the Sweet 16 in Dayton. Then you're playing Florida in the Elite Eight, who you almost came back on earlier in the regular season. Like, and then you start talking, oh, you're playing a 7 seed Connecticut or an 8 seed Kentucky mm-hmm. in your final four run. There's not even that what if now, because not just because you got blown out, but also even if you would have won this game, like what are we talking about here? You know, Gonzaga's still in the path. Yeah, that's the other thing is looking down the road and saying, but I don't like to play that game that much. No, I don't either, but I'm saying it definitely makes it easier to stomach that you can't say, but if we would have just got by that game, it was wide open. Like uh, Houston's path right now. Correct. Imagine if Houston, Houston almost lost, lost to Rutgers. Rutgers. Yeah, how they'd be feeling right now. It's, are you kidding me? Like that, That's KUVCU. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? The basketball gods have handed you a Final Four berth on a silver platter. That was never going to be the case. And it's the same thing you said about Duke. Like now, you look at a team like USC who's going to play Oregon and say the winner of that game has, gets the distinct pleasure of losing to Gonzaga by probably 25 points right. in the Elite Eight. We said all season that a Sweet 16 berth would have been a successful season. Does that mean that not making it to the Sweet 16 makes it an unsuccessful season? I love doing these arguments because it's so black or white. It was either good or bad. It was either a success or it was a disappointment. You either achieved your goals or you fell short. You're a failure. I'm not willing to say that it was a disappointment mostly because... Well, first off, if you want to just go by the Vegas lines, KU was an underdog. I, you know, eat some crow because I didn't think that USC was perhaps as daunting of an opponent as some people were making them out to be. Yeah, uh, obviously, going to go ahead and walk back that statement just a little bit. How no, can I you thought not? Drake was going to beat USC. You know what I was thinking about USC was that, oh, well, they, they're finesse. They don't like to play physical. Well, they didn't have to play physical. <laughs> They didn't have to play physical whatsoever. They knocked down some early threes. KU got punched in the mouth, you know, staggered a little bit. And that's what you sort of thought, okay, find your footing. You know, sink your teeth into this game a little bit and, and just find a way to keep it close and competitive until halftime. And, you know, just like you did against Eastern Washington in the first round, albeit against a tougher competition, find a way to just get yourself back into this game. Just stick around. And they couldn't. That was the first time where I saw KU just look completely lost on the court. Really since the Texas game, which is ironic. I guess it's the opposite of irony. It makes perfect sense because Texas and USC are very similar with what they do well. What do they have? Long, athletic, big guys, which has been KU's kryptonite. And that game went very similar to the first Texas game in Allen Fieldhouse back in January. So I didn't necessarily think that the game was going to go like that. And, and quite honestly, I thought KU was going to win. But you don't know until you see these teams take the court. And once they did, it was very obvious who was going to be the victor there. I mean, the last 10 minutes or so of the first half is where KU lost the game. And like I, you can say, well, they lost by 34. If those two, eight minutes, 10 minutes go a little bit differently, what did they lose by 18th? That's such a, a short-sighted way of looking at how things work. Like, you change one or two things, then all of a sudden you get the butterfly effect and things. Like, if you just keep things close and you don't miss those defensive assignments or Christian Brown isn't passing up shots, then driving into the lane, then missing a lob, then kicking it back out to somebody who has to take a contested jumper, 
like decisions, comp- bad decisions compounded other bad decisions, and all of a sudden KU found themselves down by about 20 going into half. Like that is where the game got away, and at that point you knew even if, even if you do everything you want to do in the second half, it probably still won't be enough. And by the way, KU didn't do everything they wanted to do in the second half. And with, I mean, I don't know what that locker room was like at halftime, and I don't know what the vibes were in that building, but it seemed to me very apparent a team that knew that they were not going to come back and win this game. Was there luck involved? Sure. You can't expect USC to do that from three. They're not. They're an average three-point shooting team. They went ballistic from three-point range. And if you run that back, they're probably not hitting those threes, and maybe it is a lot closer. But we always do this. Like how many, if they play that game nine more times, ten more times, how many of those times do you think KU is coming out with a win? Less than half. Probably so. Is USC an objectively better team than Kansas? I don't know, but they're, they're in a head-to-head matchup, yes. And that's what, that's what sports are. That's what basketball is. Like, I think... You know, you you look at the two teams' resumes. Kansas's is probably a little bit more impressive, and there are probably teams that Kansas could beat that USC couldn't. But it's a bad, bad matchup for KU. I want to play this clip from Bill Self because we're going to get into this coming up in the next segment. I want to play the first one, Derek, though, where he just talks about the matchup that USC presented and how he didn't necessarily think the game was going to go like that. But he could have foreseen that USC could give Kansas some troubles. I, I I would never say this to our team, but you know I was I wouldn't have been disappointed if Drake had won the game against uh, SC. Uh, but not because Drake's not good, just because it's hard for us to match up with length and athletic ability. That's that's been the downfall of our team all year long, and I think that was probably as evident tonight as it has been in a long time. We we uh, we. The way that we defend, the way, you know, if you got a five man that can shoot, uh, uh, the way that we defended and the way it was successful in our league and things like that, obviously could have been an issue tonight if, if, uh, if uh, Isaiah made threes and he was four or five and he's made 12 for the year. So uh, that, that, that kind of staggered us and, and, and put us in a situation where we really didn't recover. But, 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 but they're so long and, and, uh, I thought Kai Jones was long, but I think I think Evan is even longer than Kai. Uh, at least to me, he plays that way. Yeah, can you kind of went into the game knowing, or Bill Self and the staff went into the game knowing that you couldn't just stick David McCormick on Evan Mobley all night because that's a huge advantage. One of those guys is going to be the probably the second overall pick in the draft next year, and the other one is going to be in his senior season at Kansas, second junior year. That's right. Depending on how you want to look at that, so they didn't. They basically switched everything. You saw a lot of Marcus Garrett on Evan Mobley, and I don't think Evan Mobley scored on Marcus Garrett, but it was offensive rebounding. When you have your two best defensive rebounders who are at less than 100% between Dave and Jalen, that's not a great advantage for a team that possesses the size that USC does. But they basically said, well, we'll let you guys shoot. We're just not going to give up any easy buckets inside. Well... First off, you have Isaiah Mobley, the older, lesser heralded of the two brothers, whose career high in three-point makes was two going into last night's game. He makes his first four. You didn't see that coming. But again, the, the last 
eight minutes, ten minutes of the first half. It's one thing if a team's making too many threes. What about all the easy, uncontested buckets that you gave up inside? You went into that game knowing, okay, we need things to go right for us offensively. But what we know we can do well is grind out games on defense. That is the trait we can hang our hats on. Except you couldn't hang your hat on it last night. And the things that you needed to go well offensively didn't go well. That's how you lose by 34. The identity that you've created for yourself went missing last night. And the things that have been hit or miss all season long, a.k.a. your offense, was a big miss last night. That's how you lose by 34. It's weird hearing Bill Self say that. We go back to the first game of the season, man. Like, when you say it's size and length and athleticism, what do you hear? You know what guys who have size and length and athleticism usually do? They go play in the NBA, right? It's weird hearing Bill Self essentially say, we're just not that good. Because what he does say every single year is that the goal of each individual team, he hates it when you compare this team to other teams, other teams in KU's past. Because that, when you do that, you're basically comparing, like, well, that team's better than this team, so that's an indictment on this team. And he doesn't look at it that way. He says, no, if anything, it's an indictment on me. I'm the one who assembled this team. Just because this team isn't as talented as the team from last year, well, well, no kidding. David McCormick's not as good as Yudoka Azabuki. That's not an indictment on him. I'm the one who assembles this team. What he judges each team by is how close can you get to playing at your ceiling. And this team played pretty damn close to their ceiling. Their ceiling just isn't as high as some teams in KU's past. So that part of it, playing to your ceiling, that's what you can judge the players on. What you don't judge the players on is just talent. Like You don't blame David McCormick for not being talented enough. You don't blame any of these guys for not being good enough. They are who they are. But if you want to blame the coach, you talk about the fact that you're not... Uh, this team wasn't as talented as it needed to be to contend for a title. That is essentially an indictment on yourself to say, you know, we... You know, we didn't. We can't go up against the bigger, stronger. You don't. You know. You're not used to hearing that from a Kansas coach to say, "Well, yeah, but some teams are just bigger and taller and more athletic and more talented than us." What? You're Kansas, but we've known this all season. It started with that Gonzaga game, and Jeff Goodman comes out and and tweets out, and everybody in Lawrence and KU fans roasted him for it when he said, "This team just doesn't have normal Kansas talent." Everybody goes, "Really?" Really? You don't think this team's that good? What do you know, man? What are, you, are you kidding me? It's the first game. It's Gonzaga. They're the number one team in the country, and KU lost by 12. And that's an indictment on their talent? That was the beginning of the season. Well, the season just ended last night, and it ended with the head coach saying, hey, we're not that talented. We're not as tall. We're not as athletic. We're not as long as them. And we all select collectively look at it and go, yeah, he's right. We've kind of known that all season long. It was a slow build, but we finally got there. A tradition unlike any other, KU opponents going nuclear from three in the final game of the season. It happened against Auburn. It happened against Villanova. It happens against Oregon. So that's four seasons in a row. 
Four tournaments in a row. Right. Well, doesn't it kind of make you think that maybe it's maybe it's good that we didn't have the tournament last year because now I'm trying to think we who, were deprived of whatever. Like an elite three point shooting team. It would have been Dayton. It would have rematched Dayton. Creighton. Oh gosh, Creighton in like the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah. How do you think we'd feel differently about the way that that season went if we would have been treated to a Final Four run, which isn't a guarantee. It's not a given. I mean, we thought I thought Illinois was a Final Four team. Where are they at? <laughs> you know? And they kind of were similar to what KU was last year, just in terms of like... What oh, you mean an good. elite guard and an elite big man? Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to get into those comparisons. <laughs> I just like to blindly assume that KU would have cut down nets last year. No, I mean KU but, had but a better. But if season. you had seen that, if you had seen that, and you didn't get deprived of an NCAA tournament last season, I don't think we would care as much because we'd say, uh, you know what, it happens. You you had a national championship caliber team last year. Guys left. You got to restock the cupboards a little bit. One hundred percent. Do you ever hear when people bring up like the most heartbreaking tournament losses? You know. Does anybody ever bring up the 2009 Sweet 16 to Michigan State? Because if you're just basing it like on a vacuum, or in a vacuum, I should say, of the game itself, KU had no business losing that game. And that was a Michigan State team that ended up playing for the national championship game. You were up, you blew the lead, they ended up winning a close game against you the Sweet 16. But you know what? Nobody cared. Well, it's not that nobody cared. It's just you won the title before. You still made the Sweet mm-hmm. 16. You still won the Big 12. So it was easier to deal you with. You build up equity Yes. after you win. I think Bill Simmons says that if your team wins a championship, you have like, it's like four years or five years, and you can't complain. I don't know if you can't complain. It's just they probably fall on deaf ears. You have to think yeah. about it like that. If you're putting those complaints out into the atmosphere, are people who don't sympathize with you, like, are they going to understand what you're saying? Like, if uh, if a Kentucky fan, if you win a title, and then the next year, not even a Kentucky fan, a K-State fan, and you say, oh, man, our team stunk this year. And they say, yeah, well, we, we just went 9-20, and and it's the second row, second year in a row we bottomed out, and half our team just entered the transfer portal. So I don't really want to hear what you guys have to say one year after winning a title. Right? Mm-hmm. You win a title, yeah, you build up some equity where you can't don't really get to complain. But KU didn't win a title last year, so it doesn't feel like, oh, well, last year was so great. So, I mean, no, because our memories of every single season hinge upon what you do in March. And last year, no fault of their own, KU didn't do anything in March because nobody did anything in March. And now it feels like it's just sort of this bad string of a little bit of bad luck. Again, I'm not saying it. That was all luck, but USC is not 34 points better than Kansas. They're not. No. They're just not. Did you see that? I, I know we've mentioned this a few times this year, and we only mention it when it favors KU, I guess, which is kind of funny, but that shot quality account um, that looks at the shot quality of the game, and it said, like, on average, this would be a 50-50 oh, oh, yeah, game. yeah, yeah, yeah. It says, like, if, you, if these two teams played again and they took the exact same shots they took last night, what are the chances of, you know, what would the outcome be? Yeah, I'm assuming if USC took 18 shots and they played again tonight, they're not making 11 of them. No. I'm assuming that Isaiah Mobley, who again had never made more than two threes in a game, who started four for four, isn't going four of five from three last night. 
I would like to think that Ochai doesn't go two for eight again and that Christian Brown doesn't go one for six. I'm not going to pile on the kid because he is a kid. Um, you know, he's playing for our entertainment. He ain't playing for money. But, man, Christian Brown just did not look great at the end of the season. And to take it a step further, like you go back and think of some of the bigger games for KU this year, he didn't show out in those games. Like, he made a bunch of threes against Baylor in that first matchup just to keep KU to hang around. He scored 30 against St. Joe's. Um, he went off against West Virginia when KU killed him in Allen Fieldhouse. But it's just indecisiveness, which to me screams confidence issue, which is the last thing I would have thought about the, a guy who, you know, talks about, you know, Jaron Howard, I think, said earlier this season, he's a guy you never have to worry about taking that next shot. He's going to go 0 for 3. He's going to shoot that fourth one. Um, no, it felt like Bryce Thompson had more of that. And Bryce Thompson shot 22% from three this year. I don't care. I would rather have that than have a guy who's just indecisive. I mean, somebody put it so perfectly last night. And I'm sorry for not giving you credit if you're listening. Somebody on Twitter said this to me. They go, all night long, okay, you pump faked and drove into worse shots on every potential three-point attempt. Even in the second half when they were down by 20, I felt like they still were hesitant to pull the trigger, which is not how you can be even in a game where you're not down by 20. Like, that's that's the mindset KU should have taken. They went 6 of 25 from three-point range last night. That's what's crazy. You you think about, like, the individual parts here, and it's easy to convince yourself this should be a good shooting team. It was the worst three-point shooting team by percentage in Bill Self's career at Kansas. Even worse than the one. Remember the one two years ago? In 2019? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that was the whole reason they brought in Isaiah Moss. So you're telling me bad seasons force the coaching staff to go out and hire outside talent, out-of-town shooters. Yeah, but what's the you know what the problem here is? It's easy to go on the grad transfer market and be like, oh, look, that guy's a good shooter. Let's bring him in because there's, there's a lot of those. A lot harder when you're trying to bring in, oh, but we need a guy to be maybe our lead point guard. We need a guy to be maybe one of our best players. We need a guy to be an athletic wing. We need a guy to be a defensive stopper. We need a guy to be a, a physical big man down low. Like There's some things that they need this year that isn't as simple as going into last offseason when it was just like, okay, we just need the final piece of the puzzle, a floor spacing shooter. Well, that's what's going to happen right now. I mean, that's what Bill Self and his coaches They staff, need athleticism. Yeah. They need length. They need shooting start still. The, start the to-do list. You start the wish list right now. What's going to be at the very top of it? Well, Bill Self kind of answered that question in the post-game presser last night. We'll let you hear it. Coming up next, you're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk. There's a lot of things you might be not really living up to snuff about right now. Are you getting enough haircuts? Are you shaving enough? Are you keeping up with your personal hygiene? Well, one thing that you don't want to be a loser about is having that dirty car. You know, whether it's just driving around town, whether it's you picking up a friend, you want the clean car. And don't you want the sparkly clean car that you're proud of? Well, guess what? Tommy's Express Car Wash. They are going to hook you up with a great car wash that's going to get that car sparkly nice so that when you go to the store, everybody's looking at your car and says, oh, man, 
Where did that guy get his car washed? It's wash, rinse, repeat at Tommy's Express Car Wash. You can download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's right, endless washing for one low price with the Tommy Club app. It's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane, unlimited access to all Tommy's Express locations, because there's a lot of them, unlimited guest service and most importantly, unlimited happiness. They've got the tools and expertise to keep your car clean inside and out. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and body wax, wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush and spot free rinse, and vacuuming. So download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy that endless washing. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. Do you get the feeling that this team maxed out? Did that feel like a team who literally hit its head on the ceiling? Like like you're getting out of the shower and you forget that that shower bar, you know, isn't, you have to duck to get under it. You literally, you slam your head into it. Not like a nick, like, oh, they grazed the ceiling. It felt like last night they went headfirst into the ceiling. You're often sort of stunk all year, right? We can say that now. I mean, we said it at the time. We said that it was it could get better, it could get better, but now it can't get any better. Right? And now we know with the full season behind us, it never got better. It just was sort of stale all season. You went up against a taller, more athletic team. You had to shoot threes. You didn't. You played tight. You had one recipe to win, and you just didn't. Follow it. Christian Brown was kind of the same guy all season. Ochai, as good as he was, there's still a level of inconsistency with him there. Like, if you look, if you want to know right now what the next step, because we can sit here and we can change generalities and say, but no, Ochai was great. Okay, he was. But there's a difference between this. Like, we can't just sit here and say, well, no, he was fine. He's not the problem. I'm not saying he's the problem. But if you want him to take the next step, he has to be part of what changes. Like, the next step for Ochai is being that dude who's not passing up shots, who knows in every single game, you got to go get yours. You have to go get yours. You cannot revert to this sort of passive role like you did last night. Deer in headlights, like everybody else. Those guys were kind of the same guys all season. Both of them have to take a step forward next year. But this is a team that felt like it sort of maxed out. You had inconsistent shooters. You were indecisive. Uh, you are a poor driving team. No real playmakers. And you're not the greatest passing team. Those are probably the five biggest weaknesses of this team. Offense, 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 and offense. <laughs> right? Yes. Uh, yeah, you could, you'd love to have a rim protector. They don't grow on trees. Good luck. Like, go find one. But overall, this was a top 10 defense in the country. That wasn't the problem. It was a problem last night. That's how the game got away from you. That's part of your identity. And you're going to lose a big part of that identity with Marcus Garrett, who I don't want to spend much time on it, but... I don't think he's coming back. I don't think there's any. Do you want to disagree with me? No. You think Marcus Garrett's? Do you think well, that there was a clip from one thing you said last night? Let me play it real quick. It's it's a short clip. I mean, it, with this team next year, they they got a chance to do something special. Every year, I feel like a Kansas team with Coach Self have a chance to do something special. You mentioned this team next year. You know that doesn't sound like a guy who's coming back. Okay. Yeah, uh, I heard that too. 
I think that he'll probably sit down and sort of think about it, but right now I'm probably going 97% gone, 3% staying. The dude is, how old is Marcus Garrett now? 22 at least, maybe 23, 22 years old. Uh, Go get paid. Even if it ain't in the NBA, there's no shame in making six figures to go play overseas. Like, you're going to get paid to play basketball. You are 6'5", you're a decent athlete, um, and you're a lockdown defender. And we'll get more into like his legacy and what he leaves behind, but let's just focus on the here and now for now. I don't think Marcus Garrett's going to be here. I still think what you were able to show the second half of the season, turning yourself into sort of this grimy, gritty, grinded-out defensive team, that's going to stick with you next year. You lose a big piece, but you can still be a really good defense. The question now becomes, what are you going to do to fix this offense? Because it needs fixing. Can't just expect to run it back with everybody outside of Marcus Garrett and think that things are just going to get better. Like that's my least favorite thing to do in college basketball. Is well, next year they'll be good. Well, why? Oh, because well, well, Jalen will get better and, and Dave will get better and right. And no, uh, I, re- I remember saying this. will get better and Christian and like okay, but I remember saying this about <laughs> Iowa in the preseason. And it's like Iowa was better, but how much better were they? It was like okay, Iowa's going to be better because they're going to have more experience, and the experience does matter. Knowing to do the right thing, but their problem a year ago was that they were awful on defense. And guess what they still were this year? They were still really bad on defense. They ended up losing in the second round. Like we did this last year with Christian Brown. Did we not? Oh, Christian Brown's going to be a starter. He's going to get better as a sophomore. He was already a knockdown shooter as a freshman. Imagine what he's going to do with more playing time and increased role another year in the system. Uh, He was kind of the same guy who just got more minutes. Mm -hmm. In fact, he was a worse shooter. The volume went up, but the efficiency went way down. We went from a 45% three-point shooter to a 34%. Again, I'm not making this about one guy. I'm just using it to prove a a larger point, which is that you can't just go into next season expecting that everybody's going to get better. Because right now, on paper, because you lost Marcus Garrett, and I don't know anything about these guys that you're bringing in next year, uh, you're worse on paper than you were. So if you expect Kansas to be better next year, to me, it's contingent upon one big thing and that you got to go and get a playmaker and you you got to go do it from the transfer market because unless there is a top 10 player that I don't know about that's got Kansas on his list that wants to come play you need somebody who can make an instant impact and you need it to be a playmaker a ball handler a shot creator and you got to go do it on a transfer market like you can't just go get a piece you can't go get an Isaiah Moss guy I think you need to go get somebody who is going to be a legitimate game changer and alpha for this offense and someone who's probably either your best or one of your top two players. This is crazy. I mean, and those guys are few and far between, if there are any, on the transfer market. There are good players on the transfer portal. But to do that is really hard. And we've seen it before. I mean, there's there's a history for it. Like Texas Tech, here they went to the national title. Were two of their three best players transfers with Matt Mooney and uh, Tariq Owen? Probably behind Jared Culver, but they still had Jared Culver. So somebody still has to step up, and then you have to go get that guy. I do think you're right. Like, if you could add one thing off the transfer market, and I, I don't know how many they'll be able to add, because right now they're full up on scholarships. The seniors coming back don't count to that if they do with, like, Mitch Lightfoot. And, again, Marcus probably won't come back, but if he did, it wouldn't count to this. Um, if a player transfers or a player goes pro, you open it up. I don't know how many there will be, but if you told me between – whether it's like a bruising big man down low who can maybe be like a shot blocker, a good defender, or be a better spell as a center than Mitch Lightfoot is behind David McCormick, 
that would make sense. Or maybe it's like Bill Self said, you know, you're playing against a bunch of length and athleticism. Maybe you want an athletic wing. Maybe you want some length down low. Or you go the Isaiah Moss route and you get a three-point shooter because even though we looked at a lot of these guys and say, oh, they should be good three-point shooters for their positions, it didn't happen this year. But, but, that, but what right. was the biggest because problem with the shooting? Was it that KU didn't exactly. have shooters and they didn't have anybody to help create open shots? Correct. That's that's where I sit. And I think that was the biggest difference in this offense to other offenses in the past. You have not only had that guy who can create it for other people, who can be the head of the offense that others are, are keeping an eye on on the opposing defense, but also when push comes to shove, they can go create a shot. That has been, like, that is, to me, why all these combo guards, shooting guards, turned point guards work with Bill Self. Like Devontae Graham, Frank Mason, you go down the list, Jerron Collins, they're all these guys who are these tweeners who could go get a bucket as a point guard. That's what they need. How many guys are there on the transfer market like that, though? I mean, there's a few. If you want to start getting into names, like the big name would probably be Marcus Carr. Yep. I think it was just announced like a, a day or two ago. Uh, guard from Minnesota averages, I think, like 17, 18 points a game. Uh, he's on the market. Uh, don't know if Kansas is going to be on his you know, desired list. Here's the, the thing that we should just go ahead and address now. How is this investigation, this infractions case hanging over Kansas's head going to impact their ability to go out and get the best whatevers, whether it's recruits or transfers? And the short answer is that it's going to infect, affect it in a significant way. But to, di- to dig a little bit deeper into that, I would say you're probably being... You're probably being a little naive if you just think that nobody wants anything to do with Kansas right now. That's what people are sort of throwing out there. Who wants to go to Kansas if you're going to potentially have a postseason ban? Well, first off, you don't know that Kansas is going to have a postseason ban, mostly because you don't even know when this case is going to end. I don't know. You don't know. Bill Self doesn't know. We've all sort of just assumed that there's going to be some finality to that at some point this year, but we don't know that because it's uncharted waters. We've never seen this committee handle a case before. So we'd like to think that it'll be wrapped up relatively soon, but we don't know that. And even if we do, we don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they're going to hand out a postseason ban. They probably will, but again, I'm just guessing. I don't know anything about this committee or how they're going to handle it. So first off, first and foremost, we don't know that that's going to be wrapped up, and we don't know what the decision is going to be. But even if you want to assume that KU's getting a postseason ban next year, it's fine. KU's still going to play 20-plus games on national television. There is not going to be a program. The whole East Coast thing is dead. The idea that, oh, well, Duke and North Carolina and Kentucky, they get more pub. No, they don't. KU's playing on Big Monday on ESPN as much as anybody in the country, and that's not going to change even with the postseason ban. And I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of kids out there who are still going to find that very, very attractive. Now, it may be a deal-breaker for others who want to play for a national championship, but there may just be some kids out there that say, you know what, I just want to get noticed by the league. I've played for four years. I don't care about a championship. I'm trying to get noticed. I want to go play professionally. Kansas is a really good place to make that happen. Yeah, I mean, perfect example of what you're talking about. Louisville had a postseason ban in 2016, ended up going 23-8, and uh, finished in the top 20 of the AP poll. They got a transfer that year anyway. It was a grad transfer from Drexel, Damian Lee, who averaged like 22 at Drexel, went over and led Louisville in scoring. So you're right. It is still appealing because you're on national TV every day, but you wonder if there's a drop-off between like the Marcus Carr and maybe then you end up with you know a mid-major guy who that's more appealing because with Marcus Carr, he already was on national TV every game. And for him, being in Minnesota, maybe it's like, no, I want to be in the NCAA tournament. So 
you're right. You don't know how that affects each individual kid. Certainly, there's going to be options. I know there's a Pittsburgh point guard on there. Jesse Newell has pointed out this guy from I think. Okay, Jesse keep Jesse. I've you think he knows about, something here? Well, and then Jesse tweeted it at me. That's what I'm saying. He's a tweet I've from seen like him bring it up a couple ago. times. He's like, oh, I'd keep close track of this one. Tyson Walker. He is a guard from Northeastern. Jeff Goodman tweeted out on March 12th. Huge in all caps. Huge addition to the transfer portal. Northeastern guard. Tyson Walker averaged 19 points and five assists per game. Was also the conference defensive player of the year. I did a little research on him today. Because I keep seeing Jesse bring him up. He, uh, yeah, he averaged 19 and five. Let's see what his shooting numbers are. He shot. He was like 50% 30, from two, 35 from three. 35% from three. Pretty efficient. Like yeah, I averaged said, two and a half steals per game. Of the year. He's six foot, 162. So that tells me right there. If you're six foot, 162, and you're the conference defensive player of the year, you're probably an annoying as hell to play against, <laughs> right? So bring him on. But that that's perfect because yeah. he is Dewan Harris, right? He's Dewan Harris with a jumper. Yeah. But that's what you need. You need a secondary ball handler. You need another guy who can create and facilitate and go get his own bucket. He's only a sophomore, so he would theoretically have two years of eligibility left. And again, this guy's coming from Northeastern. If you're from Northeastern and you're transferring, are you transferring because, well, I deserve to win a national championship? Maybe, or more likely, I want to play for a bigger program than Northeastern. I'm too good to be spending my time on this team. I'm pretty sure Northeastern is in the uh, Colonial Athletic Association, and their conference, I'm pretty sure, their games are broadcast on, uh, it's like Flow Hoops or something like that, which you have to Flow pay like, TV. Four, yeah, you have to pay like 40 bucks a month for it. So for him, he's just like, just get me on cable TV, man. That might that might work, but would you feel comfortable with that? If that ends up being, and again, we have like no reason to believe this guy's coming to KU or something, but hypothetically, if they got a kid like that and you paired him with Bryce Thompson as your, I guess, two lead guards, do you, is that enough to make no, you think no, that No, no, there is reason to believe. I mean, he said, this is an article from Gary okay. Bedore today, he said that they are considering KU. Okay. He so, is, and, and the other player, just to throw it out there, mm-hmm. um, his name is Jameer Harris, and he is from... American. I've actually seen this kid play. Mm-hmm. Good. Now, I saw him play purely because, and we've, t- we've already talked about it too many times, but let's go ahead and run this conversation back once more. I ended up, for no real reason, betting on and watching an American game uh, against Loyola of Maryland at one point this year. Uh, Jameer Harris averaged 20 points per game mm. and four assists. He is a senior, so he would only have... One year of eligibility, but again, is that a kid who played at American, who played nine games this year, is he saying, I need to compete for a national championship, or I have one season of college left? I want to go get paid, and I want to keep playing basketball. I don't want to have to go sell life insurance after this season. I want to go play professionally. You know what's going to help me do that? Bill Self, who all he does is send guys either to the NBA or overseas, where they get paid money to play basketball. But, okay, let me ask you again. Is getting this transfer from Northeastern or this Jameer Harris kid, like, is that enough to change it? Because you said you might have to get a player who's going to be your first, second best player on the team. Are you convinced that a player from a very small conference, albeit did really well in that conference, is going to automatically come on and be that guy? Not automatically, but uh, I would trust. Here's what I trust, okay? I trust that everything that we're talking about, Bill Self and his staff are very well aware of. Mm-hmm. 
that if they just run it back next year, it ain't going to get better. I'll say this. So if they're going to go out and, and, and hand out the only mm-hmm. scholarship that they have available, this isn't like a normal year where it's like, well, we got a scholarship left and our team's already going to be good, so let's just go and see what we can get. No, they're going to look at this. And who knows, maybe somebody's going to leave. We can get into that more later. Maybe somebody will leave and they'll have another scholarship. But as of right now, you got one scholarship available. You're probably— I don't think you have any. No, you don't have any. Um, Mitch won't count against yours, but— right, You have three commits coming in. Somebody, okay, then let's just do yeah. it now then. Somebody's going to leave. Yeah. Somebody's going to leave. Yeah. Um, and if we want to just look at the candidates, Tyon Grant Foster, Tristan and Aruna, probably number one and number two. Like one of those guys is probably gone. And if I were betting man, I, I would look at Tristan and Aruna and say, what is your path forward for playing? Well, and you also don't know with, you know, Latrell Giselle or Jethro Muscadin. Like, we've seen guys come in before where they're like, oh, I'll be a three- or four-year player. And then they get here and they're like, oh, maybe I should go to a smaller school and get playing time. Maybe. You know? um, like after the Rio Adams kid. And after... One year, I'm not sure if that's or if that's too early to do that. I would also say, just to, I'll just address it now. Uh, I don't think anybody's leaving to go pro early. The only real candidate would be Ochai, and uh, I mean, last night was perfect example. You went up against NBA size, and again, it's not like he had Evan Mobley and Isaiah Mobley on him all night, but Ochai has been hesitant and inconsistent and indecisive, and he can't really do. Much off the dribble. He's great in the open court and fast break. He's got good top end speed, but he doesn't have that quick twitch burst that you need in the half court to sort of make those plays. I just, I don't see enough there. I think his game is nice for a college player. I just don't see enough to think that, like, he's going to be a draft pick. Like, Devon Dotson did not get drafted last year. Okay. Do you have, this will just be my devil's advocate thought to the idea that, you know, it can't just get better internally. What about the 2016 team? So 2015, you ended the year by getting blown out in the second round. Not as bad, but to Wichita State. Brought it all back. I'm trying to think if there were any major additions. Maybe like Sheck Diallo, who didn't really play, or Cliff Alexander. Wait, what year? 2016? 2016. It was the year that um, Wayne Selden kind of broke out. Ended up getting the number one overall seed in the tournament. Lost by, whatever, four or five points to Villanova in the Elite Eight. That was all internal growth, correct? Yeah. I mean, Sheck was thought to be a big addition, but though. Didn't play. No, but had he played it better, no, but would I, have been No, better. but what I mean is that like, he, he was really supposed contribute to, be, to your team he, all the time. He was becoming, supposed to be the starting five. Yes, but that's what I'm saying. Like, he didn't actually contribute to your team becoming as awesome as it did. So, is that hope enough for you? Well, if we, if we want to stick with that comparison... Um, or is it as simple to say that team actually had guys who you could see were going to eventually be stars, and you don't know if you have that on this team? I mean, that I mean Perry went from being a good player to you know the best player, all American, maybe best or, player in the yeah. conference. Uh-huh. That's a big step too. Do you have a player who's going to go from a good player to the best player in the conference? If so, who? Because that's what you need. Because if you have the best player in the conference, probably one or two seed. Just using history as a guiding light here. So who's it going to be? So yeah, there's there's ways around it, but those are unknowns, and nobody wants to go into a season with unknowns like that. Hopefully we'll be good. Hopefully somebody gets better. Well, who knows? But hopefully it happens. Right? You want you you want your clip to be full, and that's why you know again like there's there's unknowns wherever you go. Like would Jameer Harris or Tyson Walker? 
guys from the Colonial Athletic League and what league is American in the Patriot League? Would they be good enough to significantly move the needle? I don't know, but I do know this. It addresses a need. It addresses a need. You have a hole in your roster. You go out and fill it. This is the this is the worst offense I've seen under Bill Self. Now it's still relatively good compared to other offenses across the country, but it was never going to be good enough to go to a Final Four. You filled out a bracket. Not not you you listening. You filled out a bracket. Did you have KU in the Final Four? Bet you didn't. Why? Because you knew they couldn't score consistently. Because they showed you time and time again this year that they just couldn't do it. They didn't have the shooting. They didn't have the playmaking. They just were not a dynamic offense. How do you make your offense more dynamic? You're not going to get a Marcus Garrett. You're not going to go get a lockdown defender. And even if you did, he ain't going to be as good as Marcus Garrett. And you're not going to be better than you were this year. So go and address your needs. What's your need? You need scores. You need playmaking. You need shot creating. May not be good enough, but those are your only real options out there. Storm Murphy, baby. Who's Storm Murphy? Uh, Wofford, I think. You got a cool first name? I disagree. I think that is a lame first name. Can we put that up to a poll? No. Wow. I'm gonna Ruthless. I'm overruling on here. That, that's final. That's final. Storm, not a cool name. He is a six foot 180 pound senior guard from Wofford. Oh. Give me the stats. 18 points, four assists. Shot 40% from three this last year. Um He's shot around 40 or above every single season. Okay, so you bring in Marcus Carr. I don't Storm want another Murphy. spot. Is he a spot-up shooter? Can he go get his own? How many Waffer games did you watch this year? Uh, none. Okay. Maybe so do you don't, a, So you can't tell me anything about this guy's game? I cannot. Game. But I can tell you he's got an interesting name, and he shoots a high percentage from three. It's great. Uh, Isaiah Moss shot a high percentage from three. Mm. Yeah, and it helped. A little bit. But this team doesn't need an Isaiah Moss. They need a Devontae Graham. Are we sure? Yes. No, 33% from three. Don't they need both? Do they not need both? Well, you don't get to get both. Why? Unless two Why guys all? Unless two guys are leaving. Possible. You know what? It is possible. It really is. Yeah. Do you think last night was enough, the seven minutes that Tyon Grant fought? Or what was it? Was it seven? I don't know. Um, nine. I don't want to shortchange him. Seven points, though, in nine minutes. Do you think those nine minutes were enough for Tyon Grant Foster to say, you know what, things are looking up for me in Lawrence, Kansas? Probably not. What? You think he's gone? You think both he and Inaruna would say, what's the point? I think the odds are... Look at are... the three guys you're bringing in next year. Yeah. Stretch fours. No, that's the thing. Yeah, like, I, well, I, I don't think... know if they're all stretch fours. They're fours. I think Tyon would have a better chance of staying just because he like there's more positional versatility where he could play he could play the two three four potentially I guess um and also having the extra year it's not like he's a normal Juco guy where it's just you only get two years now he still has two more years and he's from the area with Tristan it's just hard for me you know maybe he loves KU maybe he wants to stick around and that's cool if he does but you're Jalen Wilson's probably not going pro so you're still going to be him behind him on the depth chart and there's a chance Jalen Wilson wouldn't even be able to go pro after next year, which means you'd be stuck behind him again. And even if you're not, like you said, you're being recruited behind as well by other players at your same position. Yeah. It's like actually the only position that's being, rec- at least that is being signed right now. You've got Zach Clements, poor, 
Yeah. KJ Adams There's four, like a three, four. Yeah. And like Sidney Curry is like a four or five. Mm-hmm. So uh, all of a sudden, very crowded. Not to say any of those. I don't know what any of them are going to bring to the table in year one. All I know is Sidney Curry is six eight two sixty girth. Love it. I love a little girth monster, man. Yeah. KU saw girth monster in the first round. We didn't even get to talk about Eastern Washington. <laughs> Groves. Tanner Ooh, Groves. What about hey? There was the comment from Bill Self. Or it's said by, I think, Tanner Groves, one of the brothers. He was like, it was so awesome getting Bill Self to say he respected my game. What if that was actually a sales pitch from Bill Self? Both you guys, come here. Come on. Both? Yeah. Package deal. Come on, they're brothers. Well, one of them is, I think, Tanner's, or were they? It was like a junior sophomore. Yeah, but now you're primed for a big run in your last year at Northeastern, right? You got the offense built around you. You're not getting that anywhere else. I want to play the comments from Bill Self after the game last night. I think we said we were going to do that in this segment, didn't we? Who's producing this thing anyway? We'll try to figure that out. Uh, We'll also let you hear what Bill Self had to say. I love that tease. Hey, coming up next, just kidding, it'll be a half an hour. We also have Matt Tate coming on the show in the next hour. We're going to do some first weekend awards for the NCAA tournament. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Could your business use a little push right now? Need help getting the word out there that you're hiring? Do you just want to let people know how great of a product you have? Well, you can advertise with Rock Chalk Sports Talk and or the Best of RCST podcast. For more information, contact djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. All right, we got Matt Tate of the LJ World joining us here in about 15 minutes. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk. First weekend of the NCAA tournament in the books. I always say, you know what? I'm tired of hashing out the same old content. I I don't want to do everything that everybody else does. I don't want to read the same things over and over again. And then after the first weekend of the tournament, somebody will reseed the 16 teams, and I read it every single time. (laughs) Every single time. The only thing that's interesting about it to me this year is that it's pretty clear who the top, and it's obviously the top three yards, the three one seeds. From there, the fourth team is, I mean, probably either Houston or Alabama, right? But Iowa's gone, Ohio State's gone. After you get past those top six teams, like who's the next? Or would you put somebody ahead of Houston or Alabama into the top four? And who would that team be? Because if it's it's one thing if you're basing it off of I just I've seen this team I trust this team. It's another thing if you're like no, I'm just basing it off of how you're playing right now. Could argue Oregon. You could argue Oregon. You could argue USC. USC. Maybe we'll get into this. They have a case to be made as the most impressive team so far in the tournament. And then there's another team, Loyola Chicago. They were a team who was underseeded. They have. The tournament experience. They've been to a Final Four. And they just look really good. Maybe we'll touch on that. As we embark our first weekend of the NCAA tournament awards show, play the awards music and take it away. I don't even know what these awards are. Derek has been tasked with putting together our uh, awards list. And... um, He's scrambling like a madman right now. There it is. 
Okay, what's the first award that we're giving away today? Well, the first award is our leader of the GPM Bracket Challenge brought to you by Cycles on Power Sports and 23rd Street Brewery, King Fitz, with seven, 47 points. He has Oregon, USC, Syracuse, and Loyola, Chicago in his Sweet 16. Great stuff from King Fitz. Also, Russ F. and Joe Hawk. Wait, so how many Sweet 16 teams three. does he have? He's 11 of 16. That's really good this year. And think about all the underdogs that are in there. Is 11 of them? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, very good. Good for him. All right, our uh, first real award. I feel really badly for you award. And also, you're a college student, so we shouldn't be too mad at you. Dwayne Washington. Ohio State. Yep, that is right. Hmm. Sad moment. We have to give him a moment of silence. Good job. Can you get this? Can you get this train back on the tracks? This has been abysmal to start this segment. So Dwayne Washington, in the final seven minutes of regulation and overtime, went one for seven, one for three on free throws, had a turnover. He missed the potential game-winning shot, and then he missed a wide-open shot from three after the cool rebound and kick out. Rough. Yeah, he's really good though. He had the easiest shot. He had the yeah. easiest shot. That's what I'm saying. I feel really badly for you, Award. Gotta hit it. Gotta hit it. That's what you don't get paid to do. You don't get paid to hit that shot, but people <laughs> expect you to hit it anyway. All right, how about this one's pretty obvious. The conference of the weekend. Who was the MVP amongst conferences? It's got to be the Pac-12, correct? Wrong. It would actually be the Summit League. Think the Pac-12 lost the game. Colorado lost to Florida State. They choked it away for the conference. Okay, you still have Colorado, okay. USC, okay. Oregon, yeah. Oregon State. Yeah. That's a 25% of the Sweet 16. Yeah, so Pac-12. what was their combined record? Like 7-1? and one? Pretty good. Yeah. Would, what would you say is a higher percentage, though? hundred percent or eighty-seven percent. What do you think is a better shooting performance? Somebody who goes seven of eight from the field, or somebody goes one of one? Uh, two of two, actually. I'd, I'd go two of two because it's hundred oh, percent, and okay. that's what the Summit League did. Oral Roberts is in the Sweet Sixteen. Everybody talks about the Pac-12. What about the Summit League? You know, I'm going to guess that neither the Pac-12 nor the Summit League is going to be cutting down any nets. Well, round of applause for the Summit League. <laughs> okay. Congrats to them. Who do you think won the Your Offense Stinks Award? Kansas. You think so? That was pretty bad. It was. Um, but they have 90, what, 93 in the first game? It's on aggregate for both. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think. Tennessee was really bad. Mm-hmm. Tennessee was a really bad game. Um, I don't think we include any 16 seeds. You expect them to play right. more offensively. Uh. UConn, I was expecting a lot more. I mean, yeah. I had them in my Final Four. They were pretty lousy. Actually, I think I know the answer, but I want to hear you say it. Is it a team who beat a Big 12 team? It is. Okay, yeah. Abilene Christian. That's correct. Abilene Christian, cool Cinderella story, but I don't know how they won that Texas game. Make a, ga- make a shot, dude. Seriously. They won the Texas game shooting like 30% from the field, 17 from three. Overall, two games combined. Two games combined. 29.8% in wait. the tournament shooting. Well, I, wait a minute. That's terrible. If we're giving the award to Abilene Christian and they beat Texas, then wouldn't we actually be giving the award to Texas? No, because they still shot like nearly 50% in that game, I think. It might be off there. They just had a ton of turnovers. Yeah, they turned the ball over. Yeah. That's part of offense, though. I guess. But like with 
Abilene Christian, they had two samples of it. They went 7 of 37 in two games. Congrats for, on the win, though. Yeah, congrats That's on nice. the win. Very cool. All right, uh, what do you think about the I'm going to have to fight my teammates award? Who do you think rose above the rest of their teammates? Um, Too much, almost. So this would have to be a team that lost. Correct. Uh, I like Cameron Thomas of LSU mm. as a potential candidate. He's pretty just damn good. because you like Cam Thomas. He's a big, look He's at the guy. Good. He's awesome. Um, Miles McBride, mm. West Virginia, did a hell of a lot. But I think we know the, the answer. He's the best player in the country, who was the best player in the country again yesterday, but it still wasn't enough to even keep it close. Luca Garza of Iowa is the correct answer. This is an RCST trivia. I don't like you getting these answers right. Uh, Garza had 36 against Oregon. Joe Wieskamp, not part of the teammates that he'd have to get into a fight with. He had 17. Other three starters on the team, zero points, 0 of 8 shooting. There's a team coming in that is just like they have all these gunners from three. That was not the case against Oregon. Honestly, it probably didn't matter because their defense was very bad. Um, so we obviously have the teams that are in the second weekend now. I remember we gave this award at our Midway College Basketball Season Award. It was There were three candidates. It was the coach who has a really good team who is most likely to make their first ever Sweet 16 uh, award. Fran McCaffrey not going to be winning that award this year. Correct. Do you remember the other two? Um, the great Wayne Tinkle of Oregon State. <laughs> he was not part of that, no. The other two were Brad Underwood in Illinois. He still hasn't made a Sweet 16. Yikes. Damn. Sorry, Brad. Um, had Mick Cronin made a Sweet 16? One. Okay, well, he's going to a second. The last one and the correct answer for this award. Greg McDermott. Wait. Creighton. Oh, yeah. Never made a oh, wait, so there are, wait, there are five. How many Pac-12 teams are in it? Four or five? Pac-12? Yeah. I don't know. UCLA, USC, Oregon State, Oregon, Oregon, Oregon State. Four. Is that it? Yeah, Colorado blew it. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Greg McDermott, congratulations on winning that award. All right, what about this award? Maybe not an NBA player, but they're going to be balling at the YMCA when they're 40 award. Uh, how about the big fella from... I think Luca Garza could apply. He's going to be He's going to make than... millions in Europe, though, if he doesn't play in the NBA. That guy is going to go yeah. be the best p player in Europe. Um, well, hell, Grove, Tanner Groves from mm, Eastern Washington probably applies here. Yeah. God, he was good. Yeah, he was. But it's the, it's another big round fella from Loyola of Chicago that I think is the correct answer. Crutwig? Cameron Crutwig. Harry Potter. You know what, man? I'm not convinced that he won't go play in the NBA. You think He's got so? Good footwork, dude. Good passer. He's like the college version of Nikola Jokic. Yeah, I mean, he's not Jokic, but he's got some skill that might translate. And he certainly got the size to translate. Mm -hmm. Now he just needs to do what, what Jokic did and just get really skinny, get really fit. Probably could. Nah, I like it better. Like probably this. could use an off-season boot camp of conditioning. I like it better like this. Um, okay, last one. Who is Bill Self most jealous of? Award? Anyone come to your mind? Who is he most jealous of? Yeah, I've got some candidates for Let's you. hear him. Scott Drew, only Big 12 team left. Self's been there before. Yeah. Quinton Grimes. He's jealous of being Quinton Grimes. He wants to be 21 again. He's jealous that he doesn't Athletic. have Quinton Grimes anymore. Oh, uh, okay. So Quentin he's Grimes, jealous. Would he be the best player on this team? Yeah. He's the best player on that team. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I would say so. Um, or Oral Roberts, his former school. 
They're in the Sweet 16. No, I think, again, he'll take what he's currently have. I would say he's actually Mark Few. Just because he's looking at Mark Few. He's like, that would have no, been me. No, but everybody's jealous But he's saying, that would have been me last year. Last year, I should have been what you guys are. Going into the, se- into the tournament as the overwhelming favorite. Get a great draw in your region. And then after the first weekend, like, oh, I got to beat Creighton. And then the best that the Pac-12 has to offer. And I'm going to the Final Four. Right? Mark Few's the correct answer here. No, not even a not. candidate. The correct answer is Quentin Grimes. Okay. Those are our first week in NCAA tournament awards brought to you by Cycle Zone Power Sports. You may have noticed something strange outside. There's a little more green in the yard. That grass needs a trim. And soon, Cycle Zone Power Sports in North Topeka has a brand of riding mowers made right here in the U.S. of A. They're bad boy mowers. Made a few hours from here in the Ozarks. There's zero turn, so they drive like a speedy little tank, and they're engineered to be strong, long-lasting, and easy to maintain. Turn a chore into something you love. Mow with an attitude with the brand-new Bad Boy Mower from Cycle Zone Power Sports. Matt Tate of the LJ World joins us next. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Let's see if Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World can help us settle this. Last night was a beatdown loss, but you knew the game was over. You probably knew it was over around halftime. You certainly knew it was over just a few minutes into the second half, which you know, it's, a, it's a, a horrible feeling knowing that you never had a chance to win that game. But is it a worse feeling than thinking you had a chance and then having it ripped away from you in the final moments? Matt Tate, LJ World joins us now on the show. Matt, what do you think is an easier feeling to cope with? You've been in a lot of these post-game locker rooms. I know you weren't last night, but what do you think is is easier to deal with with a season-ending loss? Losing in the last second off of a buzzer beater, losing by a couple of points, or losing in the fashion that they did last night? I think it has to be the fashion they did last night. I mean, that, that, that having a chance and having it taken away at the last minute where you don't even see it coming almost is... is is really gut-wrenching and, and really hard to take. And, and, and I'm not saying last night was easy for these guys by any means, but, you know, they saw the writing on the wall pretty early in the half, uh, in, the, in the second half. And, and um, you know, I'm sure there's a, there's a different feeling. I'm sure it's a little bit of a, uh, an empty feeling or a blank stare or just kind of like, what the hell just happened there? You know, like that kind of vibe but but they spent most of the second half knowing they weren't going to win and so they were already 20 minutes or 30 minutes ahead of ahead of the the grieving process right so just by just by simple math it's it's kind of it's kind of the smart answer to say that that's the deal right like the more time you have to accept it the sooner you accept it so i, I but but still i think you know, I, I think you could you could get something like that and, and, and gain the quote-unquote benefits of that in a 19- or 20-point loss that you knew you were never going to win and really never in. Losing by 34 might might hurt a little bit more. I mean, that, 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 that's a big number, and, and, and I'm sure that's not one that, that they're, they're going to be very happy with for a while. You know, that's going to sting for a long, long time. I don't think, I don't think KU fans will remember the score the way they remember 40-12, to 12, um, you know, for that North Carolina Final Four game, but there will always be some sort of, like, eerie thing associated with 85 and 51, I think, for, for, for a lot of KU fans because that's just a remarkable – a freaking remarkable 
final score. I, I mean, not in a million years would I've seen that coming. Even when I wrote it last night, uh, you know, in, in the three or four different things I wrote, even the sixth, seventh, eighth time that I wrote it in headlines and, and whatnot, it still just felt so surreal that that was the final score. I mean, they they just they just weren't ever in that game, and 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 the score reflects that. But but you know, USC played really well, and and obviously KU didn't. So when, when you break it down, it, it does make sense that that's the final score. But it's still just not one you see very often. So especially not for Kansas. Yeah, it's kind of weird. In other games, you may leave it saying what needed to go differently for the outcome to have been different, but. I don't even know if that's crossed my mind because you'd have to list off five, six, seven things, and I don't even know how many of those things are controllable. But if you were to look at what KU could have done differently to make it a more manageable game, what's the first thing that you look at? What's the first thing that you say, if they would have done this differently, maybe if X was different, then Y and Z would have played out differently and instead of it being you know, a 20-point game at halftime or a 37-point game by the time it was over, it was a, a one- or two-possession game where you had a chance at some point. Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously the first thing you point to is is if they'd made shots, but that one, I almost don't count that as an option because that's obvious, right? Like, of course that would have made it different or could have made it different. I, you know, for me, I think if you want to go a little further and, and maybe pinpoint something a little more, uh, you know, particular, I guess. I, I really think, obviously, that 11-0 run at the end of the half was just a killer. And and so, you know, maybe do you do you look at it and, and you say, well, self could have left Garrett in there or, or, or whatever. And maybe, maybe not. It doesn't mean that run wouldn't have happened. It, it may have changed it. It may not have. But but I I just I just think that was such a killer. I mean, you know, you, you go from from down what eight twenty nine twenty one at one point when Garrett scored a tough basket every basket they got last night was tough almost so you know he, he cuts it to 29 21 and, and you're sitting there and they've shot terrible they're 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 they look a little bit lost they're 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 playing against a team that's much looser and and controlling the game and yet it's an eight point game and and that was weird you know it, it felt weird that they were even that close at the at the time so um there was probably an element of calm and, and maybe even comfort from that, and then knowing, well, we've played about as bad as we can play and we're, we're still right there. And then you blink, and, and in a matter of two or three minutes, it's now up to 19 because you, 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 know, you lost that, that, that touch by, by letting them go on that 11-0 run. So I, I think that run, probably as much as anything, you know, kind of stole their soul, right? I mean, I'm sure, they, I'm sure they talked a good game in the locker room at halftime. I'm sure they said all the right things and and tried to convince themselves that hey if we just come out with a little 7-0 run you know we'll be right back in this thing and we can still win and you know but but i'd but i'd pay money to hook guys up to a lie detector test and ask how many of them actually believed it because it wasn't just circumstances it wasn't just the time and score and opportunity it was it was the way the game had gone and the way the game was being played and the way you matched up with usc it was very clear that, that that game was over. So, um, you know, it, it, it had to be a, a, a deflating feeling, even even while you're trying to still talk yourself into believing you have a chance, while in the back of your mind, you you, you know, you know you don't. The truth is there. So that, that I just feel bad for those guys, man. That's no way to, that's no way to go out. Losing an NCAA tournament game to end your season, that's a suck. 
every year, right, for every team that it happens to. And, and it shouldn't matter what the final score is. But, but to lose one that, that you were never in and, and, then, and then to have to deal with the aftermath of, of just feeling that, for, for a while, uh, you know, I, I feel for all those guys and, and, uh, you know, they'll bounce back. I would imagine they're, they're going to use, especially all the guys coming back. I mean, they'll, they'll use it as motivation that they'll, they'll, they'll remember that they may remember that score, you know, fans may forget it, but, but those guys, they may remember it. And, and I would imagine some of them are probably getting up shots today already thinking about what they can do to, to make sure that doesn't happen next year. We'll talk here in a moment about what comes next, but in order to do that, you sort of have to look back and, and take inventory as to what just happened, not in that game, but in the season as a whole. Was there any aspect of the way that game played out that you felt like was a microcosm of a season, or do you view last night as a complete anomaly? Um, you know, I think, I mean, a lot of the things that bothered them all season, right, were, were things that cost them last night. I mean, obviously the biggest one being their inability to fend big men on the perimeter. I mean, who knew that, that Isaiah Mobley was going to do that? Um, probably not very many people on either side, but but it, it still speaks to to the idea that KU made that a weakness and, 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 a, and, a, and, a, and a part of their game and defense and team that, that others could exploit and attack. And, and obviously USD saw that. And, and so um, you know that that's that's a big that's a big part of it I think right I mean that 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 one certainly um, certainly had to hurt and 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 I think that makes it less of an anomaly I mean it makes it a little bit more predictable like maybe not the final score of course but just you know that that was that was something that plagued them all year and, and another thing that plagued them all year was just the inability to find guys that could just go score and get their own shots and and and, and get consistently good shots, and you know they got a decent bunch of looks from the outside that that could have gone last night. But um, but outside of that, you know, I mean, pretty poor shot selection. Self talked about that after the game, and and it, it looked to me like a lot, um, a lot of moments where they uh, they just were so upset and so scattered and so rattled by what was happening to them that they they forgot to play together and they were trying to go one-on-one or one-on-three or whatever they could do. And, and, you know, that, that takes you out of it as fast as you can blink. So I, I think that, that that was, that was borderline microcosm, right? I mean, this team was, was all year a, a very good team when they played for each other and played together and, 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 and tried to operate in that space. And, and when they didn't, and when they, you know, went one-on-one and, and had blinders on and, and were worrying about their shots and, and trying to do things themselves that, you know, that, that made them a very average team. Um, and, and I don't think it comes from a bad place. I mean, I think these guys last night were all just really pressing once it, once it got away from them and they weren't making anything early and, and they, they were struggling to kind of handle what was happening to them. I think they all started pressing and feeling like, okay, I got to do more. I got to do more. I got to do more. And, and what that led to was a bunch of one-on-one type stuff. And, you know, it didn't happen the whole game, but, but in some crucial moments, I saw that a lot last night. And, and so that was another thing that, that kind of was problematic all season. So everything that cost them last night, I think was there in spurts throughout the season, um, very little of it showed up in the last eight or nine games of the season, though, and and so the fact that it reared its ugly head again and and obviously cost them on the on the biggest stage was 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 surely disappointing for those guys. But you know that's uh, that's that's part of it. That's that's part of uh, trying to figure out. 
you know, how to consistently be good. That's why the tournament's so darn hard. I mean, you know, winning one game in terms of challenge, there's a lot don't do there and are very consistently. KU's one that does, but, man, winning six? I mean, it just shows you how tough that thing is and how whichever one of those 16 teams is, is left standing in the, here in the next couple of weeks is is going to have really earned it. And at this point, you know, I mean, it, it sure looks like it's going to be Gonzaga, and, and you could sign me up right now for that Gonzaga Baylor final and uh, I, I would be thrilled for that but but it should be a fun it should be a fun rest of the tournament too there's a lot of a lot of really cool stories and great teams and and uh, you know I know that doesn't mean much for Kansas fans right now but it's still worth tuning into Matt Tate LJ world KUSports.com with us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk Bill Self had some really interesting comments after the game last night in the press conference when asked about the size and length of USC that gave them troubles last night and how you sort of address those issues moving forward. And he gave a very candid answer, I thought, that you don't get very often from not just any coaches, but even he who is more transparent than I think a lot of people in college coaching. And he basically said, we got to go get better players. We have to go out and hit the recruiting trail and get taller and get bigger and get longer and get more athletic. That is essentially him pointing the finger at himself and saying, we have to do better in our job of assembling these teams. What'd you make of that answer last night after the game? Yeah, well, let's, let's get to that. I mean, he did, he's not hiding from this at all. He was the first to tell you that one of the things that killed them was they got out coached and out prepared. And, and, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that's not something he's ever going to deny or hide from. I don't think, especially if it's true. And if he believes it, you know, it, it becomes a totally different thing when, when maybe he, he's taken bullets for a team and he did have them ready, but they just didn't execute or they fell flat. But that wasn't the case. You know, I, I think he, I think he, he felt like, you know, he, he had to say that because this wasn't just on players not executing. This was on a, a program not getting the job done. And so, um, you know, that, that was interesting for sure to hear, but, but not surprising. But as far as the, uh, the rest of it, I mean, it, it, it sounds good, you know. Of course, you want a team that looks like USC's, and, and Kansas has had plenty of those types of teams and players. And and you know, it's 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 not as easy as just reloading. And obviously, they've got some things that are causing some issues right now with recruiting. And you know, until that NCAA investigation is is resolved, that's going to still continue to be a problem. And 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 uh, potentially could really impact who they can get and who they can't, which which I think is is important context for for what they did this season, right? This was a team that that uh, that, that had a bunch of guys that that I think and I think Self would agree with this that that maximized everything they could. You know, they 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 got all they could out of themselves. They just weren't good enough to go further than they did, and and to finish second in the in the. Uh, in the big 12 and, and to, to make it as a three seed in the tournament and all these things. I mean, there's a lot of those guys should be proud of, but yeah, they have to get better. And, and what's tricky about that is if they return everybody or almost everybody, and they're already adding, you know, uh, a couple of pieces that have signed a, a couple of athletic dudes who could help. Um, there's just not, there's just not real immediate answers. I don't think, you know, uh, because, your scholarship situation is is already kind of spoken for. Now it's going to be a weird year with the the COVID transfer rules and and all that stuff. Uh, I'm sorry, the COVID COVID waiver rules where everybody gets the year back. So that that could change how the roster is put together and 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 reshaped and and how it looks and all of that. So you know, there's a lot that that, that could still be sorted out in the next several months. But um, but but yeah, I mean, I I think that. Long term, Kansas, of course, wants to go back to getting, 
you know, players that look like Darrell Arthur and Thomas Robinson and, and, and Joel Embiid and Andrew Wiggins and Josh Jackson. And, you know, that's, that's, that's always been the goal and it will continue to be the goal, but um, it's, it's not, it's not automatic, you know, and, and, and until that whole NCAA stuff is resolved, it's going to be harder. There's no question about it. So, um, you know, time will tell. Um, But, but, but I also believe that, that, that this is a team and this is a roster that, that, that can be much better than they were this year um, with what they have, even if they don't go add a ton of athletes and new faces and, and things like that. I mean, I think that there's a natural progression with a lot of these guys that, that's, that's sort of on deck right now. And, and you know, you look at Jalen Wilson and Dewan Harris and the roles they played and, and, and how they had kind of emerged as, as really important parts of this team and now they both have a little experience and they'll go in the with the bat a little more and, and hungry and and you know should come back in, in in a much better place from day one than they were day one this year so you know that that's just two guys but i think that that applies to everybody on the roster i think david mccormick learned things about himself this year ochai did christian brown did i mean i i think bryce thompson did and 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 i think while a lot of those guys are names that, that, that are familiar and that have been around the program and, and been on the team and been a part of the team, um, it's important to remember that McCormick and Ochai and, and, uh, and Brown were, were all put into roles that they'd never played before, right? And, and you know, they went from being role players to, to being counted on this year, and it, that took some adjusting. And, and, and there was a little bit of, uh, you know, getting used to that that had to happen for those guys. And, and they did at times and looked great at times, and, and then it, it, it bothered them at others. And so I, I think having that experience of knowing what that feels like and, and, and coming into next season a little more familiar with that is, is something that's going to benefit those guys individually. And then, obviously, that benefits the team as a whole, too. So, you know, it, it, it's easy to say we need new faces, we need better players, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is I think they have talent. I think they've got guys that if they just continue to develop and they just continue to figure out, you know, this is the way we need to play. And if they figure that out from day one and they have a full summer and and, and can go through kind of a regular season uh, or off season, you know, I think this team, like every other team in college basketball, will be will be much, much further ahead of where they were when they started this season. But you know what? This, this team's going to be remembered in a lot of weird ways and, and obviously not as one of the best teams of, of Kansas history or anything like that. But I think these guys deserve a heck of a lot of credit for having a pretty good year um, and, 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 and doing it in, in just extraordinary times and, and, and just a really difficult thing. I mean, you know, I know it's all relative and, 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 College basketball is not, you know, life problems and, and politics and government and hunger and homelessness and all these types of things. But for these guys to, to do what they did and, and make it through this season it, while giving the fans something to pay attention to and enjoy and have some fun with, you know, they had to sacrifice a lot. And, and on top of that, they had to they had to do it in really weird in a really weird way. I mean, to play in front of Allen Fieldhouse that was mostly empty. I mean, again, that's not life and death and there are certainly worse problems in the world but for those guys it, it's certainly really weird and, and they made it through it and they did it with with grace and and with a smile on their face most of the way and 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 you know they they, they achieved more than than they certainly looked like they were going to in january so 
I know they won't be remembered as one of the best teams ever, but they should be remembered fondly for just doing what they did and, and finding out, you know, a way to make it through it. All right. So if you're Bill Self and, and you're sitting in your office today, putting together a, a to-do list for the off season or a wish list for the summer, what's that number one item there at the top of the list? Well, to be honest with you, my wish list, if I'm Bill Self and, and uh, how realistic it is or not, I don't know. But my wish list is find a way to talk Marcus Garrett into returning because if you can get that, everything's a, a little bit different, right? I mean, I think if you could find a way to make that happen, and, and look, Bill Self's famous for not talking guys into or out of coming or going, right? Like he's, he's uh, or I mean, staying or leaving. He, he, he's never going to do that. He hasn't done it yet. He's not going to start. He's not, if Marcus Garrett comes into his office and says, hey, I think I'm out. I don't, I don't think I want to come back. You know, he'll have a conversation. It'll probably last about five minutes, and then he'll say, okay, man, I, I, let me know what I can do for you. I'll help you any way I can. I wish you nothing but the best. I want you to have a great career. Go make a lot of money. You know, I mean, it, it would be an automatic, like, thumbs up, let's go do this type of thing. But, he's definitely got to consider like, is there any way I can maybe find a way to, to, to make coming back look appealing to this guy? Because I think if you could find that, you know, you get, you get your anchor back, you get your heartbeat back and, and you get a guy who can, who can be a leader um, in, in a very important sense, which is setting the, the, the tone and the example of, of how you defend and, and what wins and how you play the right way. And, and, and you could also do that while moving him back off the ball and, and putting Dewan Harris in the point guard role full time and figuring out a lineup that, that, that puts those two guys out there together and, and plays to both of their strengths. So, you know, if, if you're asking the question, if it's me and if I'm Bill Self, that's where I start. But I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily um, going to be anything that's worth a ton of time. I mean, it sure looked like Marcus Garrett was a guy who, who, who feels like his time at Kansas is done now. That could have been emotions talking last night. That could have been, you know, a lot of different things. And maybe if he sits down with his family and, and talks it out, he'll have a change of heart and decide he does want to come back. And, and, you know, Kansas fans should rejoice if that happens. But I also don't think they should hold their breath that, that, that it will. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, other than that, you know, you, you, you've got to – so that would be number one. But number two on the list is, is you've got to find a way to score. I mean, you've got to find a way to make offense easier. And and uh, at times when David McCormick was cooking, it looked easy. They, they, they knew how to get him the ball. They fed it to him. And, and when he was in his zone, he didn't miss. And, and he looked really good. But that can't be your option next year. That can't be your first choice. That was what they were banking on this year. You heard it so much through the preseason, right? And and all the talk about him being a you know, an all-Big 12 guy and elite, their leading scorer and their best offensive option and all that. And and, and at times he proved to be that, but, but he wasn't that consistently, and he certainly wasn't that out of the gate. And and I just don't think go into next season thinking that um, that that's how it's going to be again. You know, you, you've got to find ways to get points in, in, in an easier fashion. And if that means adding a couple of shooters or if that means, you know, running some sort of different offense to, to take advantage of the wings that you have or whatever it is, I mean, you know, that that's probably where I would start because, I think you got these guys' attention, and I think you're going to have a lot of the same players back. So I, I think they will start from a position of understanding the importance of defense next year. And so if that's the case, and, and you certainly would hope it is, um, then then the next step becomes, okay, so 
if we know we can defend and we know that's important, then how can we make offense easier for ourselves? Because if we can do those two things, we're going to be really tough to beat. And I don't know what the answer is right now. I don't know that there is a good answer right now, but I think that that'll be something they'll look long and hard at um, this, this, this off season about just trying to figure out ways to tap into what they can get offensively out of these guys that they have. He's Matt Tate. You can check out all of his work. I know there's a lot going on between last night's game, end of the season, the offseason outlook, and, of course, uh, not to be forgotten, still need a football coach. Before you need that, you need an athletic director, so I'm sure Matt will have you covered over at KUSports.com. Matt, as always, thanks for the time, my man. Yeah, man, thank you. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon.